We've been challenging you in this series that we've, we've been made for more. God is the God of more. He's called us to do more. He's called us to be more. And I want to talk to you today about what that looks like. Here's the deal. If, if we understand the divine summons of God upon our lives, we've been, how many of you have been called by the Lord? You're saved. You're born again. That means you're called. Wave at me. I don't want you to make you've, How many of you received the call of God on your life? That's, that's, what, that's another way of saying you're saved because everybody who's saved is called, all right? So you got the call, and then we focused on the fact that you're a masterpiece, so we're discovering who we are, how God wired us, how God made us, and anybody, even with natural children, understands every single child, although they're raised in the same home, same environment, are absolutely different. Anybody know I'm speaking the truth there? If you had a thousand children, they would all be unique, and they'd all be different. That's crazy to think about, but that's the mystery and the wisdom of God. So here's the deal. We're all called. We've all been incredibly gifted. Now we're talking about mobilization. Here's the challenge I want to throw out to you. How are we supposed, in the local church, how are we supposed to mobilize all of you all, all these people, to be on assignment, on mission for God? Can I give you the great answer? This is so relieving to me today as your senior pastor. We don't have to. Because God has already mobilized you. God has already set you uniquely in what you are doing. And here's one of the big shifts we have to get in the church. Your ministry might not find its fullest expression in the four walls of this building. In fact, a lot of times when people get saved, and I know their hearts are good, they're like, Pastor, where can I serve? What can I do? And you know, we have places to serve, and we're always looking for good hearts. And, uh, and if you have that heart, there's places you can serve. But let me just tell you something. That will not be your primary ministry for most of you. Because let me tell you why. Brian, you're running around, you and your lovely bride, and you're using your gift of incredible cooking you have a bride who's incredibly organized. She keeps you in line. She keeps it all from falling apart. You pull the pork off. She keeps everything else together. So this part's falling apart. Some's not falling apart. She's the not falling apart. You're the are falling apart. I've, I've captured that. All right? So here's the deal. You ever out with people that don't know the Lord? I mean, are you kidding me? Every, every person, Jew, Gentile, comes after pork. Well, not the Jews. I'm sorry, but the Gentile. <laughs> they, they come after the pork. So if you're a Gentile, then there's a good thought that you probably love pork. Am I speaking to the right crowd? So do you ever meet unsafe people? All the time. Is your goal to drag them to church so that they can hear about Jesus here? No, it's not drag them to church. It's you're already deployed. You're out there with the barbecue sauce dripping off your elbow. Do you already have a connection point? Is this making sense? Everybody in this room spends the bulk of your life somewhere else, not here. Guess what? It's your mission field. Now, Specifically, we talk about missions. We just showed you missions. Missionaries, to be technical, we understand missionaries are cross-cultural. But many of you will not spend your whole lives being cross-cultural. But here's the deal. Every one of you is on mission. At least that's the goal. On mission. Meaning, you know, I think of our, our government officials like Christy. Every time she walks into public office and she makes her faith open, she is representing Jesus in an area where we're told today, you can't bring Jesus into government. Well, no, we should be bringing Jesus into government. Is this making sense? Everywhere you go, Jake, when you played sports back in the day, your dad coaching and all that. You know, my dad coached as well. Guess what he was doing when he was coaching? He was impacting young men for Jesus in the football arena. And let me just tell you, he led so many people to Christ in sporting arenas because that's where he spent the bulk of his time. 
Everywhere you go, you swing a hammer, you're, you're in construction, you're driving a UPS truck. I don't know what you do during the day, but I'm telling you, it's time to begin to see what you do as an assignment from God and as a vehicle for expressing the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God. I'm telling you, ready for this? You're all in the ministry. And you've all been deployed. And so don't look at where you're at as a place that somehow doesn't fit being called of God. Or some people are always looking for the next encounter with Jesus that's going to take them to some new level. Let me tell you something. Be content with where you're at and max out where you're at. And then maybe God's going to do some new stuff. But we've got to begin looking with different eyes, which is why when Paul said in Ephesians 4, just to back up to last week, walk worthy, he said, I beg you to walk worthy of your call. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means partly. It means to live a life in such a way that everything that you do, anywhere that you do it, you do for the glory of God and is focused on loving and impacting people. How many of you think that's a pretty cool assignment? Every one of us that knows Christ is called to do that. Starts in our home, starts with our family, spills out from there into our, our community, our workplace, the church, etc. But that's what it means to walk worthy. Now, I want to direct your attention to where we're going to be today. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to look with me at verse 14. If we ever hope to walk worthy of this divine summons upon our lives, how many of you know we've got to be awake? The Bible says, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you life. Have any of you ever had an important uh, meeting that you had to be at? Anybody, and you knew, I have got to be up in time for this meeting. What do you usually do? Do you just shut your eyes at night and hope that it all happens? No. What do you do? You set an alarm. I know what some of you do. You don't set an alarm. You set multiple alarms. How about this one? Somebody ever use this tactic? Don't set the alarm to where you can hit the snooze. Set the alarm where it irritates the daylights out of you and you have to get out of bed to go find the, anybody know what I'm talking about? Because here's why, you cannot miss this meeting. If you're traveling and you're in some strange place and you're sleep deprived uh, or you're on a different time zone, some of you travel internationally, they have this service, it's called the wake up service and the person down there at the little valet table, would you like me to give you a wake up Call, and it, that irritating hotel phone ring, you know, going off, and you grab the phone, you're trying to find it. Why? Because you have to be at an important meeting. I wonder why some of us go through life spiritually asleep or like in a coma as it relates to our calling. And we're called, we've been summoned by the king to the most important call imaginable. And I think the problem many of us have in America is trying to stay awake. You know, I was reading a powerful article this week. The man was sharing about the uh, concept of spiritual slumber. And he has a friend, actually a couple, a married couple, in one of these Muslim countries where the persecution against Christians is intense. Uh, and for, if you share your faith in those countries, uh, bad things happen. And so here's what happens. When they get together in the morning for prayer, they are literally praying, God, give us wisdom to know who to witness to, show us who's ready. Because how many of you know if the Holy Spirit's not moving in that person's life and you share with the wrong person, you're dead. And here's what they said. He understands that he might not see his wife ever again when he goes out. And she understands in that country, if she is captured for sharing Jesus with other people, she will be repeatedly gang-raped and tortured and die. So here's their prayer in the morning. Lord, we're asking you to give us supernatural wisdom and boldness to share Jesus with other people today. How many of you think it would create a certain level of alertness? 
If I told you this, I said, oh, guys, little joke we played. We planted five landmines somewhere in this church in the sanctuary, but don't worry. If you pay close attention, you'll see the little, the little button that you stand on that blows it up. You'll see that with your eyes. So, so just look carefully on the way out. Everybody should be good. I guarantee you legs would start lifting up off the floor. People would start standing on their seats if this was actually true. There's people that would not move an inch lest they stand. There'd be people that were paying very close attention all around them. Why? Because instantly I just told you there's danger. Watch out. And you would be awake. In fact, some people I've heard it said, and military uh, veterans can attest to this, sometimes you're most alive when you're closest to death. Now, I'm not encouraging us, you know, as I read that, I felt convicted. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story. This couple moved out of that country that was so dangerous, and they moved here to the, to the blessed United States of America where they have religious liberty and prosperity. They can share Jesus anywhere they want. Um, and this is the true story. After a short time in this country, that woman, that wife, was pleading with her husband. This is what she said. Please take us back home. Back home? You mean to the place where you could be murdered for your faith? Yes, please take us back home. This is what she said. This is a, how many of you know sometimes it's good for people from other countries to come into our culture? This is what she said. It's like there's a satanic lullaby being sung over this nation. She said, take me back where the danger is real, but listen, but where the presence of Jesus is so real. And you know, here's a mistake. You know, Marion and I, we went on mission trips before, many of them, and we've been to places where there's great poverty. And I remember one time in particular, we came back from a trip. We had just gotten a new dishwasher, and we happened to be in a village where it was dirt floors, and this woman was cooking us, you know, dinner uh, with wood and a pot and, you know, chickens running around, at least the ones that weren't for dinner. They were running around. Um, but Marion came back, and she looked at our kitchen, and she looked at the dishwasher, and she, she said, I can't even use this. She felt so broken, and I told her, honey, the purpose of the mission trip is not so that people bring us down into their level of poverty. The purpose of the gospel is so we lift people out of poverty, but here's the bigger challenge. Living in a land of blessing and not being lulled to sleep. It can be done. We don't have to all move to Iraq and lose our lives for the gospel, but we are called to lose our lives for the gospel here. And listen, God forbid that we listen to a satanic lullaby while we pursue the American dream and we just you know, surround ourselves with every kind of comfort and we lose the fact that we have been called to the gospel. We have been called to a divine calling a divine summons that matters. And as I read that, I have to tell you, I put that article down and I just said, God Almighty, don't let me waste the place you've put me, the resources you've given us, the amazing people you surrounded us with. May this not be a place where the lullaby of hell is sung over our people and that we're all sleeping while the world perishes. And we're missing the presence of God and the challenge of the gospel that makes us feel so alive because we become sleepwalkers because we've missed our mission. So I want to read for you from the scriptures. Look at Proverbs 132, and I love the way the Passion Translation says it. Like an idiot. <laughs> That's in the Bible. Right there it is. Like an idiot. 
you've turned away from me and chosen destruction instead. Your self-satisfied smugness, which is another word for complacency, your self-satisfied smugness will kill you. You know, complacency doesn't kill us physically usually, but what it kills is it's, it sucks the life out of us. And, and Solomon's saying, don't be like idiots that turn away from God and end up falling into this self-satisfied smugness where everything's cool and all you do is anesthetize yourself with pleasure and blessing. And you completely miss out on the fact that really what's dying is the call of God on your life. Instead, we're told to walk in wisdom. I want you to look with me in verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 5. Paul says this, be careful how you live. Everybody say, be careful. When somebody tells you, be careful, we need to pause because it means that there's danger on the other side of that warning. If we fail not to be careful, bad things can happen to us. So Paul's warning us here, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. And then he goes on to tell us, well, how, does, how, do, how do we live in a wise way? He said, make the most of every opportunity uh, in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I believe there's three areas that I want to touch on this morning about h- how we walk in wisdom. We need to, first of all, know our call. We need to, secondly, avoid our fall. We all have areas that are, that are weaknesses where we're, we're given to falling, and the third area is we need to give our all. So let's take a look at these this morning, all right? First of all, know your call. Look what the Bible says. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You know, there's a lot of young people in here, and let me just suggest to you that the biggest question you should be asking, especially when you're young and your whole life's ahead of you, the biggest question you should be asking is, what does the Lord want me to do? How about this question? What pleases God? What pleases God? How about this question? Why did God make me the unique masterpiece that he made me? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Not just my life, because I'm not inviting God to, to make my life successful. I'm asking God to show me why I was created in the first place. I see Mia back home from college. Welcome home from college, Mia. Good to have you here. Your smiling face. College is a time where you begin to prepare for a calling. But how many of you know that calling is never divorced from God's will, from God's pleasure, from God's purpose? It's making sense to everybody. We need to make sure we're living thoughtfully. We know why we're here. We're asking the right questions, and we're not just pursuing the, the, the American dream or pursuing the wrong vision. Secondly, I'm going to mess with you now. Avoid your fall. Here's what I want to ask you. What are the dangers in Ephesians 5? that Paul highlights, these are dangers that we need to avoid. I'm going to hit five landmines that are danger points for every single believer in this room, all right? Five landmines if you're taking notes, all right? The first landmine is found in verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you, because such sins have no place among God's people. Let's talk about a very popular topic today in America, in the church, called sexual immorality. I'm not going to drill down real deep. I'm going to simplify it. What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is sexual activity outside of the bounds of the marriage covenant. 
probably just narrowed it right down. God said this box right here called the marriage covenant. And boy, we stood here with a couple yesterday. I said, do you understand? You're making a covenant with this woman and you are pledging yourselves to love her until you die. That's called covenant. In the boundaries of covenant, you can enjoy sexual expression and pleasure. Outside of the boundaries of covenant, God says it is forbidden. I didn't make this up. God said this. In fact, God said this about sexual immorality. Don't, he said, um, such sins have no place among God's people. You know, we're going to be talking about sexual intimacy today in the marriage class. We're going to be talking about why it is so important, young people, to set yourself apart sexually as unto the Lord and waiting for your covenant partner. I mean, no, God's really smart. And I mean, you know, God invented sex. That, that didn't get as many. Uh, let, me try that, let me try that again. How many of you know God invented sex? Some of you still aren't convinced. All right, you didn't make this up. This did not evolve. I didn't realize I had to work so hard on this one. All right. God invented sex. He invented the pleasure of sex. Why? So that husbands and wife get together on at least something. Now we're starting to wake up. All right. But how many of you know the God who created it also knows that if you abuse it, you pay a price? A painful price. And so many people sitting in this room today have paid a painful price. And let me just say this. I just read of an amazing pastor of a largely African-American church, although this certainly isn't an African-American problem, but this was a large African-American church, 9,000 members in Texas. And he really challenged people in his church. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about Christian people living together, not married in the church. And he heard all the excuses. We can't afford to not live separately financially and all the cultural excuses. And so here's what they did. For every excuse, the church came up with an answer, a godly answer. They went through free counseling, equipping people on relationships and on marriage. And here's what he did. He had a cohabitation call out. And they had one Sunday where everybody in the church that had been sleeping together outside of the blessing of God decided to make that relationship a covenant. 24 couples got married on that Sunday. Now, again, this is not in the world. This is in the church. And the Bible says this. Such sins should have no place among God's people. So I'm just telling you, sexual sin is an incredible landmine that will destroy the call of God and, and offer a satanic lullaby to put you to sleep. You don't want to do that. Let's go to the next one that's found in verse 3. It's called impurity. Impurity is anything that comes along with a carnal lifestyle. And what's a carnal lifestyle? Well, Paul talked about it in Ephesians 4.19. Look with me. Paul says people that don't know Jesus have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure, and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And I want you to notice what separates a Christian from a non-Christian. No shame about your behavior. Living for this goal, lustful pleasure. How many of you know that's, that is America right now? Whatever feels good, 
whatever, whatever gives me an immediate payback, especially if it's sensual or physical, uh, that's what I'm all in for. How about financially? There are people that live lustfully financially. Spend, 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 even though they don't have the money. Um, guess what? That's living a lustful lifestyle, lustful pleasure. And here's the deal. These folks are eager to get involved with impurity. They don't have to be forced. They, they run to it. So how many of you know that should have no place among God's people? Impurity of all kinds that comes with a self-centered lifestyle. So let me ask you this. It says these people live for lustful pleasure. I want to ask you, what do you live for? At the end of the day, what are you living for? And I'm going to give you a secret. If you want to find what a person lives for, look at what they fill their life with. If you want to find what gives a person true pleasure, look in their pocketbook. Look at how they spend their time. Look at what they're pursuing. And you'll find what gives them pleasure. You, if you'll figure out what makes a person happy, you will get, get a good indication about the condition of their soul. Does that make sense? What do they take joy in? If someone out here says, I take pleasure in torturing people, I can just tell you right now, your heart is sick and evil. What do you take pleasure in? Do you take pleasure in worship? Do you take pleasure in loving people? Do you take pleasure in, in helping those who are victims of injustice? Uh, what's the thing that brings you pleasure? Whatever brings you the most pleasure will be an indication of the, of the condition of your soul. How many of you know we need to know the condition of our soul? Let me go to the third one that Paul warns us of. Greed or covetousness. This simply involves the continuous lust for more. You know, I had a tragic meeting with a guy not too long ago, um, and I, I challenged him. I said, where is Jesus in the midst of all this that's going on? His, his life's beginning to unravel. His business world's beginning to unravel. And he said, you know, I don't do all this for money. I'm not, I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing all this so that I can le- basically leave my kids with an inheritance. I, I want to leave my kids with money because he grew up in poverty. Can I just tell you that might sound noble, but that's evil. And let me tell you why it's evil. Because it's become an idol. And can I just tell every parent in here something else? At the end of the day, the amount of money and stuff you leave your kids is meaningless. In fact, in some ways, it's dangerous. Shouldn't what we be focused about leaving the next generation is the example of a righteous lifestyle? How about the example of a godly marriage? How about, how about my, par- my parents weren't always gone working for me. They were here playing with me. How about the kid that's saying, yeah, I really wish Dad would have been there to throw that football around, but he was always working extra to give me this inheritance that I could care less for because guess what? Our family's no longer together. See, we live for all kinds of the wrong things, and we keep pursuing the things that just don't matter. At the end of the day, we're at, we're ch- we've got our ladder set on the wrong mountain, and when we get to the top of that mountain, we realize, man, we've spent our whole life chasing something that doesn't matter. Now, please hear me. There's nothing the matter with leaving some finances for your kids. There's nothing the matter with having investments. There's nothing the matter with having material things. There's nothing the matter with setting your kids up financially. Please hear me. When it becomes a problem is when you make it your idol. When your whole world centers around the little financial kingdom that you're building so that you can leave this great investment to your kids who frankly may not even be there to receive it because of your absence. 
greed or covetousness, the lust for material things. And here's the thing. It's not just the material things. Isn't it this? We can all relate to this. It's the comfort that comes with those things. Isn't it great to have the comforts of this life? Isn't it great to be relaxed, to have a beautiful view, beautiful scenery, beautiful place, beautiful things, nice clothes, great couch. Oh, man, the high-class refrigerator that has all the bells and whistles, computerized refrigerator that actually has a TV on it, too, so you can watch TV while you have breakfast, while you're so pleasurable, while you're so comfortable, while your wife feeds you grapes. All right, I'm pushing it. All right. (laughs) See, it's not just the greed. It's the pleasure that comes with stuff. And we've all been guilty of that. And can I just say this? God's not against pleasure. All of you go enjoy your vacations, enjoy your stuff, but listen, don't ever let your stuff take the place of your passion for Jesus. Because here's the deal. If we do, we're idolaters, and there's not good things ahead for idolaters. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. Beware! I had to say that because there's an exclamation point. Beware! I mean, you know, you listen more when your pastor yells something, I hope. Beware! Jesus speaking, not me. Guard against every kind of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. Thus saith the Lord. Let me get to another one. Look down at at verse uh, 4, Ephesians 5, 4. I've given you three landmines already. Sexual sexual, uh, sin, impurity, and greed. Fourth one, profane speech. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, These are not for you. Who's the you? Believers in Jesus Christ. You know, when I posted a few uh, days ago, I posted on Facebook a great verse about wholesome speech, and immediately a believer uh, responded to me with this statement. Pastor, it's hard to do that because I work in the mill. How many of you know it is hard to have wholesome speech when you're surrounded by people that are full of all kinds of obscene speech? And I know what happens in worldly workplaces. The weekend's over. Monday comes rolling around. What are people talking about on Monday? Talking about their sexual conquests. Talking about who they partied with. Talking about what they did. Talking about how they fulfilled whatever lust they had in their lives, and they're bragging about it. The question is, what are you doing? I think sometimes it's too easy to laugh along with a joke or to drop your profanity because everybody else talks that way. How many of you know it's sometimes what we don't say that is the biggest witness as to the change that Christ has brought in our lives? It's the lack of profanity, the lack of perversion, the lack of obscenity, the lack of all these things where people begin to look and, wait, that guy doesn't talk that way. What's different about that guy? Those are the entryways sometimes of some of our greatest ministry. So let the Lord purify our speech, and let's not be the ones standing around the cooler telling the latest dirty joke. Or can I just suggest this? You know, sometimes the devil lulls us to sleep because you know what American weekends are for? Entertainment. And can I just be honest with you? Those of you that have a regular steady diet of movies, this is not legalism talking. This is wisdom talking, all right? I'm not, I'm not legalizing anything. How many movies are out at one time that are worth you sitting under when most of them are like taking a bath in the sewer? Oh, man, I wonder why I'm 
Lusting. What movie did you just watch? Where everything was hanging out. Because here it is. You're, you're entertaining yourself when what you're watching should be infuriating you. You should be angry with the culture and angry with what's going on. You should be walking out or you should be saving your money for something else. But we, we indulge in the spirit of this culture. In fact, I just got to say this. It makes me want to puke when Hollywood lectures us on morality. Are you kidding me? Hollywood's the source of all the garbage that runs into our living rooms. And then they get all on their, you know, their preachy uh, platforms and telling us how immoral sexual abuse is. Are you kidding me? You profit by promoting sexual abuse. See, where, where's the, we talk about being woke, right? That's the new word. Oh, no, I'm telling you, wake up! Let's be woke! <laughs> I just set you up with that wonderful round of applause, so let's talk about alcohol next. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. I'm not drilling deep here, but I'm sharing my heart. Using alcohol to extreme is a landmine for believers. should not be part of our lives. And let me just tell you something. I've shared this with my boys before, and my daughters, but, but especially my sons. Okay, say you're a man of God. You're on the sports team. Afterwards, all the guys are going to go to the bar, have a beer. Again, the Bible is hard-pressed. I think you'd be hard-pressed in making a case of moderation. So I'm, I'm not being a legalist today. So, my boys, they go to the bar after the game. They're having a beer. While they're at the bar, there's other girls at the bar. There's other people that haven't had a beer. They've had multiple beers. And all of a sudden, out of that interaction, late night at a bar with people who are drinking, the accusation comes up that one of my sons touched one of those girls inappropriately. Now, when you're 17 or 18, it's one thing. When you're 57 and you're a pastor, it's another thing. Because in our culture today, all it takes is an accusation. And a man's reputation is forever ruined. If it's true, then we need to deal with it. But if it's false, because you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, then you are dealing with an incredible lack of reputation and character simply from one accusation against you. You'll carry that with you the rest of your life. Can I just tell you something honestly about alcohol? There is not one upside to alcohol upside. I know a man that's worshiping at this church right now who will be unnamed, but when he came to this church, he said, you know, pastor, I came out of a background of abuse. I abused everything because he was unsaved, and that's what unsaved people do. They abuse things. Drugs, sex, alcohol. And he goes, and I started coming to church. And when I started coming to church, you know, I got surrounded by people that love Jesus. I got taught the word. I started growing. But how many of you know when the devil has had you by the throat in a certain area of your life, you have to really guard that area because your, your freedom is always one choice away. You're one choice away. And this is what he said. I'm seated at, seated at a table 
with our leadership team from the church, and they're all drinking. And I'm fighting on the inside to stay free from something that has destroyed my life, and spiritual leaders are surrounding me, taking liberty in an area where they certainly have liberty, but their liberty is a massive stumbling block to me because I don't have that liberty. We have Celebrate Recovery in this place. What is that ministry dedicated to? Hurts, habits, hang-ups. There are people sitting around you whose stories you don't even know, whose lives have been destroyed because of sensuality, sexual promiscuity, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction. And listen to me, you might have the liberty to have a beer. And I'm not telling you don't, but I am telling you this. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of other people's lives, for the sake of the anointing on this ministry to break yokes of people's lives and set them free, for God's sake, can we think about our calling? Can we think about our calling? I've heard people say, Pastor, I just like to unwind. It helps me unwind. I get it. That's what alcohol does. helps people unwind. But how many of you know the difference between unwind and unwound is sometimes just a drink or two away? And any of you that have lived your time in the world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The one drink led to the next drink, which led to the next drink, which you weren't intending on drinking. And before you know it, you're finding yourself sleeping with somebody you never intended to sleep with, doing things you never intended to do, and it was the lowering of your inhibitions that opened the door to carnality, sensuality, and sexual sin. You just stepped on a whole bunch of landmines, and I'm telling you, what was the opening door to all that? It was the lowering of your inhibitions because of your desire to have alcohol as part of your life. Again, I'm not, some of you say, you know what, I just have a drink every now and then, or my family drinks, or I'm Italian, or whatever, I'm German, I don't care what ethnicity you come from. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm just telling you, maybe consider a breadstick instead of the wine. I'm just telling <laughs> I don't know. Have another meatball. It's going to serve you much better. But here, here's, what I, here's what I wanted to get across. God never asks us to give up stuff meaning we have less than when we started. Have you, ever, have you figured this out? The gospel moves you into fullness. It doesn't give you less. That's why the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine wherein there is excess. Instead, instead, God always has another alternative. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Why can't we? Why can't we, for the sake of this amazing calling on our life, why can't we say, I'm going to pursue fullness of God's presence in my life? Now, I'm not saying you can't have a drink of wine with your meal and start worshiping Jesus and get full of the Holy Spirit. Please hear me. This is not legalism. I'm not preaching legalism. and I'm not trying to mess with anybody. I am saying this. This party spirit, this bar-hopping spirit, sexual sin, greed, impurity, thus saith the Lord, should have no place among God's people. No place, no place, 
no place among God's people. And if we allow that kind of compromise, notice I'm, notice this I'm not speaking to anybody here that's an unbeliever. I'm talking to those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's time we started living the gospel. Be careful. Two times in chapter 5. Read it. Ephesians 5. Read it. Two times. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. I'm going to close with this. We're living in a culture today when people will tell you, oh, that living stone's church. Here's what happened. Anytime you raise a standard of righteousness, I'm telling you, you're all legalists. Sloppy agape, cheap grace, hey, God forgives, he doesn't care. I just want to puke every time I hear that. I want to just vomit all over all y'all, all over. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. You can be sure. Everybody say, you can be sure. You can can take this to the bank. That's, That's my translation. No immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. How many know there's certain passages of the Bible that are sober? They like that means you pause. You you go, Lord, is it I? And can I just tell you, before Christ came into our lives, busted, every one of us. Busted. Busted, busted, busted. But after Jesus, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And here's the deal. God created sex. Don't make it an idol. God created pleasure. Don't live for pleasure. Live for God. God created stuff. Don't live for stuff. Be generous. I tell you this every week. People that are misguided think the offering's all about the pastor and the church. That church, they just want my money. Let me tell you what's really happening. I'm trying to help you. God's trying to help you from being a greedy idolater every week. You didn't know that, did you? Yep, that's what's happening. Every week. Every week. Because, you know, you're going, oh, man, this church, all they care about is our money. You liar, liar, pants on fire. The issue is, the issue is you're greedy. And you get offended when money comes up in the conversation. Maybe I just poked your idol. And maybe, may listen, listen, you can be sure that if you hold on to that idol, you're not going to heaven. You know why? Because listen to me. There's not one idolater that's hanging out in heaven with Jesus. Because as soon as he let him in, there'd be a kingdom divided. I hope I have your attention today. What we do with our stuff is spiritual. We either honor God with it or we live for ourselves. If you live for yourself, you're an idolater. And if you live for yourself and you make an idol out of things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. Let me tell you what else the Bible says. This is a warning for some people here this morning. Verse 6, don't be fooled by those who try to make excuses for these sins. Oh my gosh, let me pause here. There are people who say, well, you know, that's not, that's not really what the Bible is. I don't think, hey, God's a loving God. God's a forgiving God. Just keep living like idolaters. He doesn't really care. Keep coming to church. You're good to go. You know what? Where did you first hear this phrase? Did God really say that? That's the satanic school of language. 
Genesis chapter 3. Well, that's not, when people say this about the Bible, that's not really what it means. I just hear the hiss of Satan. Like, what part of the king's English don't you understand? See, here's the problem. When our hearts are wicked, our minds will justify what our heart wants to do every time. When my heart is wicked and I'm holding on to that idol, I'm holding on to that, I'm hugging that idol, my heart will always tell me why it's okay to hug the idol and why God doesn't really mind that I'm two-timing him. Oh yeah, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm your bride. I just have seven other lovers over here on this side, but I'm yours. And then, and then somehow that we tell ourselves that's okay. The Bible says don't be fooled by people who excuse sin. Downplay it. Act like it's not important. Let me ask you this question. If whatever it is that they're downplaying nailed Jesus' broken body to the cross, do you think it's important to God? Perspective is everything, isn't it? I once heard John Piper talking about a movie where there was nudity and it showed, uh, it was a popular movie, it was an Academy Award winning winning movie and it showed a woman's front side in the movie. And this is what he said, talk about a a perspective shift. Everybody's arguing about, well, it's artistically done. Um, This is what he said, cuts through all the you know what. If that was your daughter, that all those men were oogling over and staring at her naked breast on the big screen. That's your daughter. Would it be okay? Any father with an ounce of fathering heart would say over my dead body, is that going to happen to one of my girls? You know, perspective's a beautiful thing. Don't be fooled by people who constantly make excuses for the sin in their life and want everybody else to be sinning with them. For the anger of God is falling upon all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Don't participate in the things these people do because the wrath of God is coming. Oh, I don't really believe in an eternal hell. You are, you are being deceived. You need to read your Bible more. If God is not true and if he's being mocked, then every one of us is a liar, all right? God is not mocked. God is true. His word is true. We should tremble at his word. Tremble at his word. Lest we step on a landmine and have our life blown to bits because all of a sudden we just didn't think it was that important. While Satan sings the lullaby over our our bed while we fall into a deep sleep of sensuality, carnality, lust, pride, greed, every other idol, and we shipwreck our souls. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. That's why I love preaching the Bible. This is not my opinion. I'm not preaching a feel-good message this morning, although righteousness will make you feel good forever. Not momentary pleasures. This is the gospel and I want us to make sure we're pursuing the Lord. We're being mobilized by God. How many of you want to move out this week into a week of incredible fruitfulness, touching people, loving people, experiencing God's presence, being full of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> this is a positive message. I just told you, watch out for these landmines. And I just got to tell you, I'm looking out at people in this room. You know, we, we love people right as they come. 
We love them, all kinds, no matter what they're going through. And, I, and, and, I, and just hear me, I'm closing with this. There are many of you who came to this place and your relationships were not in line with biblical truth. And here's what I love about this place. We love you, we honor you, we respect you, we encourage you, but we also love truth. Which means we don't love you less, we just love truth. Which means we're not going to encourage your lifestyle, we're going to keep telling you stop it, but we're going to give you time to let the Holy Spirit change you. And here's the beauty. When I see some of the weddings we've done here recently that came from people who didn't know the Lord or were immature in their faith, and they realized, hey, this is not acceptable to God, guess what? They made a covenant here, and they stopped living together. So I just want you to know, some people, I've had questions before. This group's coming to my life group. What do we do? This person's dealing with this sin. They're coming to our life group. Love them. And guess what we do at life group? We keep teaching the scriptures. We keep going back to the word. Guess what the word does? The word changes people. Guess what the Holy Spirit does? He changes people. Guess what the body does? We love people. We're not holier than thou's. We've all dealt with our own sin. Amen? We love people. But here's what the word of God does. It brings you into alignment. And here's the deal. If Tim was getting ready to step on a landmine and I loved him, I would say, stop! Because I don't want his leg blown off. Because I know that's going to hurt and it's going to slow you down. So I would stop him. We have to make sure in our culture today that's racing headlong off the cliff that there's people that care enough truly to say stop. We're getting ready to move into a series called Unhinged that we're going to deal with a lot of the cultural phenomenon going on. And I'm telling you this, if the church does not start yelling stop, even though it's going to cost us, we're going to see amazing casualties in our nation. So we need to be yelling loud and clear, not because we're judgmental, but because we love people. Amen? All right, here's what we're going to do. The Bible says, lastly, or give your all, Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I want you to stand to your feet with me, making the most of every opportunity. I want our leadership team to come forward here. You know, if we're honest, I, did my re- I have to always do my repenting before I talk to you. I just think, God, I don't want to be under that satanic lullaby. Lord, shake me up, wake me up, keep me alive and moving ahead. But here's all I'm offering today. I hope you, I'm not condemning anybody. I hope you feel encouraged and challenged, not condemned, because that's not in my heart at all. But I do know people struggle with all of these things that we just mentioned, all the landmines. And, you know, sometimes it's just good to come to a brother or sister in the Lord and just say, I, you know, I need help on this. I've really failed here. I just, I need to get right with God. That's, that's what a healthy heart feels when you're under conviction. You feel, I need to get right. That's a good thing. It means that there's, your, ner- your spiritual nervous system's working. So if you're dealing with sexual immorality of any kind, man, just let's confess it. Let's get it out. Let's, let's repent. If you're dealing with carnality, if you're dealing with uh, drunkenness or excess in any of those areas of your life, greed, whatever it is, foul mouth, anger, uh, whatever it is that, that God stirred up in you, we just want to pray with you, all right? Let me also mention, uh, don't forget to stop by if you're from Crown Point and meet Christy afterwards. Don't forget to sign up for Band of Brothers. I want you guys to save money, and I want you registered. Baby dedications, water baptism next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. And all of our veterans, final call out. We really want you for lunch to join us next week after church, all the veterans. So sign up at the Connection Center. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it makes us come alive. And, Lord, we just declare like Paul did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Rise from the dead. Let the light of the gospel shine in your heart. Lord, wake up our church. Wake us up with fire. Wake us up with purity and passion. 
And Lord, just break the things off of us that would seek to destroy our lives. I pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. We love you guys. If you need prayer, come on down.